Welcome to the Dealmakers Coffee Break, where we talk to industry pros about their success stories, deals, and market insights in just enough time for you to enjoy a cup of coffee. So grab your mug and join us for a chat with the people behind the deals. I'm Asaf Raz. Let's go. So welcome to another episode of the Dealmakers Coffee Break edition. And today I have with me Sean Griffith. He is the owner slash managing partner, I would say, of TWT Multifamily. He does a lot of education, has a great investor community. And, you know, I'm talking a lot. I won't take I won't take your time. So, uh, yeah, Sean Griffith, please take it away. Tell us about yourself and about your business and we'll continue. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. And and I love the coffee mug, by the way. That That's a great idea. That's just uh, phenomenal. Yeah, everything you said there, you know, I'm the, I'm the managing director of TWT Multifamily. Mm-hmm. We are uh, primarily real estate syndicators focused on multifamily acquisitions. We have four under our belt. We've got a fifth one that's under contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't talk any specifics on that, but, you know, we're always... You know, always happy to, you know, look at the market, but I'll give you the, just the, the nickel tour of uh, how we got started. My wife and I have been passive investors for over a dozen years. Real estate's been good to us, but November of 2020, we were sitting around the kitchen table talking about finances and what retirement was going to look like. And we realized that the bill of goods at Wall Street and corporate America had sold us wasn't quite all it was cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. We had money in a 401k and we'd have had an okay retirement, but we'd have to cut back on our standard of living, cut back on what we give to our church and charities and cut back on travel. And you saw my background that I had up earlier. We love to travel. And so we said, well, how can we how can we boost our retirement? And we looked at several different options. And for us, the answer was syndicating real estate. Not as LPs, not as passive investors, but as active actively looking into real estate investments and operating them. Yes. And that statement bugs me a little bit because I I really hate the term passive investor Mm -hmm. because I always try to tell my investors, yeah, it's passive income, but that doesn't mean you should be passive. Mm -hmm. You know, you should do your homework. You should get to know the sponsor, all the sponsors on a team, not just me. You should periodically track your investments, make sure that, you know, we as sponsors are doing what we said we were going to do. And if not, ask questions. You know, it shouldn't mm-hmm. it shouldn't be passive. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, Sean, let's talk a bit about your focus in, uh, in multifamily. What territories are you focused on today and why? What type of multifamily do you invest in usually? And what is kind of your overall strategy looking into multifamily investments? So we got started with, uh, you know, Class C light to moderate value add properties, you know, in the 80 to 100 range. We've moved up to a little bit larger properties now. The one we have under contract is 195. It's going to be a heavier value add. We're actually doing this when it's it's a reposition. We're taking it from a C to a uh, B minus, B plus, uh, because that's what most of the properties in the neighborhood are. So we're going to bring the property up to neighborhood standards. Our focus is shifting slightly. We're going to be moving after this property. We're going to be focusing on, you know, probably 1985 and newer properties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that, by the way? 
Why specifically 1985 in New York? Well, so anybody that's been in this industry more than probably six months knows that the older properties have additional challenges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this property that we're taking on is a 60s property. Uh, We're going to be putting, I don't know, probably $3 million of capital improvements into it because it's an older property. I mean, there's, you know, you, you have other issues, you know, there could be lead paint, there could be asbestos, there's uh, probably aluminum wiring, there's, uh, you know, cast iron pipes, things that, things that eventually cause problems and you have to plan for all that. Mm-hmm. How do you model these things into, into your deals? Like, how did you make that decision of, I'm not going to invest in deals that are earlier than uh, built in 1985, right? How did you get to that? Well, I mean, you know, I say that, but you know, if it's a good deal, it's a good deal, right? I mean, yeah. we're we're yeah. the reason we're we're buying this 1960s property is because we're getting it at a, at a really good price, and that allows us to put more money into it. But if you're buying an older property, you've got to know, you know, there's there's going to be some challenges. Nothing ever goes like you expect it to, and you just have to you have to plan for that. And the way you plan for it is you have additional money. I like to refer to it as my oh crap fund. So, you know, when the property manager calls you and says, hey, this thing happened and you go, oh crap, then you reach into your oh crap fund, you pull out a handful of money and you throw it at the problem. But if you don't do, if you don't do that up front, well, then you got to go back to investors and go, you know, hey, Asif, you know that $100,000 you invested with us? Well, guess what? We need another 50. Mm-hmm. Not a good conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to have that conversation. So, so you know, you, you plan for it and you do it up front. How can you model or plan what happened in the past six to 10 months when we talk about the change in interest rates, people that took have very large debt um, historically and were used to having interest rates at a very low level? How, how, how do you model that? Do you think people did and how did you do that? Part of it is you have to be conservative. My first property that I bought a couple of years ago, everybody was going, oh, you bought floating rate debt. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. I'm going, well, you know, this is my first property. I'm going to be able to control my costs and I'm going to go fixed rate debt. Well, now I look like a genius. I'm not a genius. I just happen to be conservative. And if you have to take that approach to everything, you can't just go, I'm going to get floating rate debt because it's cheaper, which right now it's not. But at the time, that's what everybody was doing. You know, they were trying to shave off every penny. And it's just like repairs on your house. Mm-hmm. You can get the cheapest contractor to save some money, but about 99% of the time, you're going to get the cheapest work and the cheapest materials, and you'll end up paying more for it in the long run. Mm-hmm. So you you can't you can't just go, hey, I'm I'm in here, I want to shave off every little penny. Anyway, to get back to answering your question about how do you plan for that is you stay conservative. So, so do you, you consider yourself a, a conservative syndicator. How does that look like when you choose a property to invest in? What are those things that you look for in terms of the entire deal structure, the debt, you know, how many how much capital are you calling? What are you promising in terms of ROI? Like what's your cash on capital? So how, how, how do you create this model? within your specific properties and make, making those choices? No, that's a great question. You know, we look for properties that we can get at a, at a good basis. And by good basis, I mean, you know, below market value. 
this time last year, it was next to impossible to get anything below market value because it was like a feeding frenzy. We didn't buy too much last year. I mean, we, I think we got into two deals. But I mean, a lot of it, you just have to look and, and you, some of it's relationships with the brokers. But as far as what we do for capital, I mean, our typical deal right now, average deal has probably been around 15 to 18 million. Um, mm-hmm. This new one's going to be bigger. It's uh, north of 20. So we end up, I don't like to go more than 70% leverage on debt. Mm-hmm. And might go up to 75. You know, a lot of people go, oh, you want to go all the way to 85 or 90? I said, well, no, no, you don't. You have to remember debt is like a power tool. If you don't know how to use it properly, you might lose a limb. You know, so, you know, you've got to be, you know, you have to understand, you know, leverage cuts both ways. And, you know, these people that were highly leveraged and had floating rate debt and, I hope there's very, very few of them didn't have a rate cap. Those are the people that are really in trouble right now. And so we we try to avoid situations like that is, you know, we either don't use floating rate debt. My preference is, you know, fixed rate agency debt. Mm-hmm. You know, barring man, I mean, you know, sometimes you've got a deal that you just absolutely can't get agency debt on. Then, then you've got to do bridge debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you plan it out where, you know, you want to have everything beat into shape within, you know, probably a year to two years to refinance it. And you build that refinance cost into your plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as far as for what we typically like to offer investors, you know, right now cash flows, it, it's hard to cash flow because of the cost of debt. You know, we like to get our investors, you know, 6%. Honestly, I'm seeing deals pencil out between four and maybe seven, but the seven's rare. And and I wouldn't I wouldn't even put that on a document because it, it'd be too hard to hit. Yeah. I'd love to hear more. You know, we talk about the asset types, you talk about multifamily and what you guys are doing. I know that you're focused specifically on Arizona, Alabama, right? Texas. Uh, you have probably mostly Texas. Yeah, mostly, mostly Texas. All of the acquisitions that we are directly involved in the syndication, we're the, the general partner, GP, sponsor, you know, a lot of different terms get thrown out there. Um, you know, those are all in Texas. We are passively invested in some deals scattered across from Arizona over to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very cool. So you have a, a great expansion, still kind of a, you're still syndicating, right? But doing mm-hmm. it properly for the past maybe over 10 years. And what I've seen that you've done, which I think is very special, and I'd love if you could elaborate that a, a little bit. I see that you also do education, right? You have a kind of an investor community uh, where you work on understanding the process, how do you approach deals, managing how to sell the asset, whatever you're teaching and providing knowledge to those investors. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and tell our listeners how, how you do that and what do you focus on? So I leverage a lot of people's knowledge, right? I there's no way I could learn everything there is to know about real estate. I, I mean, that's one of the things I love about real estate is I learn something new every day. And I just like to share that. I have, you know, I don't have a, a paid program. I belong to several mentoring groups and, you know, we all share knowledge. We all share experiences. If we have good contractors or, or good property management people, we're happy to share those. We also 
give comments on people, well, you probably don't want to use them or, you know, it's really just about the community and the relationships, right? I mean, real estate is very much a people business, especially the multifamily on the operation side. I always like to remind my partners and my investors that, you know, we have a responsibility to take care of our tenants. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are preferring the term residence now. And you have to treat them well and you have to take care of their needs. You have to give them a clean, safe place to live. Because if you don't have any residence, none of the rest of this matters. None of it. Because mm-hmm. they're the ones that pay all the bills when you get right down to it. Mm-hmm. They pay your mortgage. They pay the property management company. Uh, you know, they they pay the uh, salaries of everybody in the office, and they pay back the investors that that helped you know invest in the property to mm-hmm. you know give the property a the facelift, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, or you know improve the uh, the functionality of the property. I mean, mm-hmm. the property that we're buying has some uh, pretty major plumbing issues. And we knew that going in and we budgeted for it. That's part of the $3 million going in. But if you don't, if you don't go in with the attitude of, hey, you've got to take care of your, your tenants, your residents, I, I don't know why you're in this business. Can you tell me some of the things that you've done, for example, at Riverbend to create better community, better sustainable living for, for your residents? Sure. I can talk to a couple of things. Now, The Riverbend one is a little bit different deal for us. We weren't actually looking for properties in San Antonio. We have a a couple of friends that had asked us to come in and help with that deal. So we did. Mm -hmm. And they are managing everything. Their company is completely vertically integrated. They have their own property management. Mm -hmm. They have their own in-house construction company. So they do everything on the property, pretty much except full roof replacements and foundation work. They hire those things out. Now, that being said, when we took over that property, the day we took over, they had, I think, five or six different teams show up on site. The automatic gates were not working. The pool was in very sad shape. A lot of the vacant apartments were, let's just say bland. That's probably a good way to put it. They, you know, you, you walk in and go, eh, it's an apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, it nothing special. They 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 have a prescribed upgrade that they do on all their apartments. They put you know nicer fixtures, nicer hardware, two tone paint. They redo the flooring you know where it's needed, and you know so they were just lifting up everything, making it a nicer you know upscale place to live. And that all started day one. I mean. They had guys with, you know, with equipment and materials and they just came in there and swarmed over the property. I mean, you know, it looked like uh, somebody had kicked an anthill. There was so much activity going. They're doing an amazing job. We closed on that property April 26th and we got our first cash flow payment uh, last week. Wow. That just shows how long it takes to actually rebuild and reshape a property. to the fit- Oh, that's super fast. That's mm-hmm. actually super fast. I mean, most properties I see, at least in the last few years, very few of them ever start cash flowing day one. They're usually about six months in. We had a property that we closed on in December, December 23rd of last year. 
and we just sent our first cash flow payment out to the investors. Wow, that's a that's a those are long cycles. I feel like nobody's talking about this. So if there's everything we've taken from this episode is great, but this one thing of how long it takes to actually cash flow back, I love how you kind of how you kind of build it. And I think this is the one of the titles of the episode, right? So like you got to calculate it in the cash flow time and how fast you can pay back your investors because it's just rare to have properties that are just ready to go, right? Um, it is. It is. I mean, you know, the, the Riverbend, the reason it started cash flowing, you know, a couple of months after uh, they took over was they got it at a really good basis. You know, it was a, it, they, they got it at a very good price and the property was in reasonable shape. They jumped in there and, and they, you know, they, they literally drained the pool. They had some repair work that had to be done. And I mean, just tons of activity going on. They're, they're looking at, at redoing the office. Uh, they're going to repurpose some of the office space. I think they're actually going to use some of that for one of their corporate offices. So the upstairs part will be one of their corporate, like a so floaty location. I think it's a great, it's a great way to do that. What we always do is what I call the shameless plug. The shameless plug is your opportunity to shamelessly talk about yourself, about your company, what you're doing today, what you're looking for. Could be investors, brokers, assets, whatever that is, but do it freely. This is your time to shine. Well, also, thank you so much. Well, I've got several things going on. Uh, you, you heard me talk a little bit about the, the deal that I've got coming up. We typically do 506B offerings, which means if you don't already have a relationship with me, we can't do business, but I'm always looking for investors. One of the things that we're going to do different with this deal is we're going to go uh, into a 506B for the first month, and then we're going to convert and do a 506C. So, you know, if anybody's looking to invest, uh, once we go public with the 506C, I'll be able to take accredited investors. Now, I'm also writing a book that combines two of my favorite things that I love to talk about. One of them is real estate and one of them is travel. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about you know how to how to how to use real estate investing to uh, you know boost your travel, either you know either to upgrade it so that you maybe you move from coach to business or maybe you travel more often. You know, so I love that talk, talking about different things like that. So yeah, this is another episode of the Deal Makers Coffee Break Edition, and Sean Griffith from TWT Multifamily. Thank you so much for joining me, and I love how you're with that cup. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Asif, for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, maybe some more conversations in the future. Love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for joining us. Check out more episodes on the Dealmakers podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and Agora's website at agorareal.com slash podcast. See you in the next episode.